Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date. So, it's time finally to talk about season five after what is always a very long summer. So, we're talking about Buffy versus Dracula today. And um, just to get some business shit out of the way, I think this is like one of those like minutia things, process queen things that you guys probably don't care about. I did not silence my phone. That is an alert. What am I getting an alert for at noon on Friday? Okay. (laughs) It was something. Okay. I am going to silence my phone now. Yes, there it is. Okay. Um, Okay. So one of those minutia things that you guys probably don't care about, but I'm going to share with you anyway. I am recording today on Friday, which is actually a day before the... Um, the actual anniversary date. I'm wondering how you guys feel. Let me know. Send me an email if you have strong feelings about it either way. Um, mixtressradio at gmail is where you can send that email. M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S radio spelled the normal way at gmail. And of course, that email is always in the description notes of the podcast episodes. Let me know how you feel about it either way. I might start doing this where I record a day early. That way, two things can happen for you. Um, Or one thing can happen for you, which is that if you like to engage with this podcast by watching the Buffy episode on the actual anniversary date and then listening to my podcast episode on that actual day. Because in the past, I usually record late at night on Saturday because I usually have to work on Saturday. And then the episode doesn't actually get uploaded until the wee hours of the morning on Sunday. So it's not usually up on the actual anniversary day. So I'm just wondering how you guys feel about that, just in terms of, like, do you care if you get it on the actual day or not? Um, Yeah, just let me know if you have strong feelings about it either way. Um, It feels to me like cheating, which is just my my very literal autistic brain. It feels like cheating if I recorded a day early, but I do have... Friday's off, so it would be a little bit easier for me to schedule recording it on Fridays and uploading it on Fridays so that you have it on Saturday, which is the actual anniversary day, if you choose to engage with it in that way. Just let me know if you have strong feelings about it. That's the way I'm doing it this week because um, today is actually me and my Michael's 10-year wedding anniversary. We've been together for 14 years. We've known each other since high school, but we've been married for 10 of those years, which is crazy. So I'm recording a day early because I do have to work tomorrow on Saturday, and he has to work today on the actual anniversary day. So we're going to celebrate our anniversary tomorrow, which means I wouldn't have time to record the Buffy thing on the actual day. But I started thinking about it and I'm like, well, maybe it would work better to record on Fridays. Again, process queen shit that most people, you guys are probably like, I don't give a shit at all, which is fine. (laughs) But if you do give a shit, let me know how you feel about getting the podcast a day early. Um, If you do give a shit about that. (laughs) Okay. And I also have to confess, again, a process queen thing that you guys probably don't care about just because of the way that everything has worked this particular week. I have not watched the episode two full times like I normally do. Basically, I've just, I watched it once last night without taking notes. And then I took notes today and I did a little bit of research to like refresh my memory on the episode. But because I have like a to-do list a mile long for this particular This is the only day off I have this week, so I just did not take the extra time to watch the episode a second time like I normally do. So this might not be as thorough of an episode review as it normally is, but that said, I don't find this to be a particularly important episode of Buffy, so I'm going with it, but forgive me if I miss some details that, like, 
I would love to include. <laughs> anyway, I'm excited to talk about season five though. It is one of the things that's really cool about this, even though I do find this to be not the best episode of Buffy, I appreciate its sort of like mission statement for the season ahead, which is kind of a return to identity of Buffy. You know, like the premise is being set up that she doesn't know the true origins of Slayer and she wants to know. And I find that to be a very fascinating um, mission statement for this particular season. And I'm interested in that. Um, so what else do we need to talk about before we get started? Um, also with Angel, um, a little bit of a change on that. I mean, it's from your end, not going to be a change, but my mom basically declared after I made her watch the entire first season of Angel that life is too short for her to be watching Angel. <laughs> and I totally understand. I don't actually like it that much either because usually I watch the, the Buffy and the Angel episode with her on Thursday nights and then I watch Buffy again on, on Saturday and do all the podcast stuff. But, um... Now that she's not going to be watching Angel with me on Thursdays, I'm going to have to add it to my um, Buffy research. So just full disclosure for this particular opening episode of season two of Angel, when we get to that part of the discussion, I have not actually watched the episode yet. I'm likely going to watch it tomorrow night on the actual anniversary day, but... I have not done it yet, but I did do some, like, some research on it to refresh my memory on the episode, but yeah, it, it's not like my discussions of Angel are that intense anyway, so again, all of this shit is stuff that you guys probably don't care about, but I, I like to let people know exactly how I do my research and how informed I am, and this week I am not as informed as I usually am, on both counts, so... I am sorry. That said, I still have things to say. This is beginning a block of, like, after a long drought during the summer of having no Buffy episodes to talk about. Thank you to everyone that listened to my um, weird, weirdly timed reviews of movies that came out in the year 2000. I think I did like four or five of them by the end, and I didn't even start doing those until like August. Um, so thank you guys for letting me take a little bit of a break. I think that's how my summers are going to go um, from now on. Just like review movies that are 20 years old or 25 years old or something. And just kind of sporadically throughout the summer as I feel like it. You guys seem to be fine with that. I haven't gotten complaints. Um, although I am very much open to any critiques on the way that I do things. Let me know how you feel about it if you feel strongly. Um, so this is going to start a block of we will have a Buffy episode to talk about every well no there's one one week in the next two months that we don't have an episode to talk about which is Halloween for whatever reason so we have this last week in September every week in October except Halloween and then every week in November, and then one week in December that we will be talking about Buffy episodes consistently every single week. So that's kind of exciting. Um, it's always a weird transition to go from like summer of me not doing this particular project to intense every week. But I, I do like working hard, so let's do it. Okay, let's talk about Buffy versus Dracula. As usual, I like to read the description in the um, Buffy episode guide called Bite Me by Nikki Stafford. And it is, Buffy faces off against the most famous vampire of all time, Dracula, and discovers something about herself in the process. Okay, so I just like paused for a second so I could read the description in the book. And she points out, Nikki Stafford, who wrote the Bite Me episode guide, points out that this is the first season opener that we've had on Buffy that isn't written by Joss Whedon. So that's just an interesting note. It is written by Marty Noxon, who we love, and directed by David Solomon. So this episode is just 
I don't know. Like, the actual, for me anyway, experience of watching it isn't that great. But, like, when you spend some time sort of, like, analyzing it and looking deeper into it, it becomes more meaningful. It's it's a good first episode in that it presents a pretty good um, mission statement for the season, like I said. Um, and I definitely don't mind cheesiness. It's just, like, for some reason, it just sort of, like for me personally, kind of ruins the fantasy to have Dracula in Buffy. Because I don't see Dracula as being, you know, Dracula's not the same universe as Buffy. Like, I I just, the, the way that Dracula is portrayed as a vampire is not the way vampires are portrayed in Buffy. Like, vampires in Buffy are not, like, beautiful, alluring, like, glitter vampires like Twilight, you know? They're not that. And seeing Dracula, who's part of that, for me, Dracula's part of that genre of, like, beautiful vampires, and the rules that Dracula follows are completely different from the rules of other vampires. And just, like, as far as vampire mythology goes, bringing Dracula to Buffy does not work for me. But if you look past that, this is actually an interesting episode. First of all, I want to apologize. Like, normally I'm recording at night, so there's not a lot of background noise, but you can probably hear children because it's, like, perpetual recess time at the elementary school that's, like, half a block from my house. Why did I, as a nearly middle-aged woman that never wants to have children, move to a neighborhood that is half a block from an elementary school. Who knows? I will never know why. I just didn't even think about it. That's why. Okay. One of the things that my mom and I both noticed while watching this episode, which is kind of like not the type of thing that we would normally notice, is that the stunt choreography and the stunt double for Sarah Michelle Gellar looked different. So I actually looked it up to see if, or I wanted to look it up and ended up not having to look it up because Nikki Stafford had it in her episode guide. And there is actually, where is it? Um, where is it? <laughs> okay. Um, this is just, I'm reading from the book. Buffy has a new fighting style this season, perhaps because she has a new stunt double. Sophia Crawford, her previous double, and Jeff Pruitt, the stunt coordinator, left the show following a dispute. The new double double leans less towards martial arts and more toward wrestling moves. This doesn't actually name her new stunt double, so I'm going to look that up real quick. Okay, apparently I'm too dumb to find that information because, like, I've been Googling for a few minutes and, like, really... The only stunt double and coordinator that is mentioned as Buffy's stunt double and coordinator are Sophia Crawford and Jeff Pruitt, who are like a married couple and they had a fight with Joss Whedon or some bullshit. Um, so that's likely why Nikki Stafford does not have the new stunt doubles. Um, and maybe it wasn't consistent. Maybe she went through several more throughout the rest of the series, but I'm interested to pay attention like nothing against Sophia Crawford but like it was very martial artsy the fight style in the first four seasons of Buffy and it's distracting to me like I don't think her stunt double necessarily in general was super distracting but just the fight style didn't seem to I don't know it didn't seem to make sense to me um and part of it is because I hate the score that they use during fight scenes that that has not improved. I really hate that. Um, but the actual fighting style, um, just, it seems more natural to me just in this first episode of season five. And I'll be paying a little bit more attention to it from now on to see if I do really like the new fighting style better, which is not something I've ever really paid that much attention to in the past. So I'm I'm just interested to see how that unfolds, but in this episode in particular, the fighting style I thought was cool, even though the score still sucks. And the new stunt double's ass is nice to look at. <laughs> and she looks a little bit more like Buffy, whereas Sophia Crawford is 
a very muscular woman. Like, as most stunt doubles would be, like, it'd be hard to, like, have a stunt double not be super muscular. But this particular stunt double looks a little bit more like Buffy's bot or Sarah Michelle Geller's body type. So, just interesting to note. Um, my cat is really wanting to come in here right now, so you might hear her. Okay, I just made myself, like, pause and, like, you know what? I can fucking find this information. I can. So I got it. Michelle Waitman is the stunt woman that, da, 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 in the last three, last three years of Buffy. Okay, so she is going to consistently be Buffy's stunt double. Her first episode is this one, Buffy versus Dracula. Okay. It's not that hard. I'm not the best at like, I wasn't the best reference librarian. I did that for like two years. Um, like I just get so distracted when I'm searching for things on the internet. It's hard for me to find information in a studious way, but I, I stuck it out guys. Michelle Waitman. <laughs> so I, yeah, anyway, talked way too much about fucking stunt doubles. Okay. Let's get going here. I feel, I feel scattered. Like I'm not, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work recording during the day because I like, I like like sitting down with you guys and having a drink and like, you know, being in the dark and lighting a candle. It feels more the vibe for Buffy. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if I can handle this Friday afternoon recording thing. Okay. Anyway. So the first note that I wrote was, so, okay. So basically the episode starts with Buffy is restless in bed, um, laying next to Riley. She can't sleep. So she gets up and she goes out and patrols like, and as she defines it later in the episode, when she's talking to Giles about wanting him to be her watcher again, she defines it as hunting. He's like, so you're going out patrolling more. And, and she's like, no, I'm hunting. Like, and then she, when she, she slays like a vampire in the middle of the night and then she comes back to bed and, um, you see that she can now sleep. So this is also the, they don't really hearken or hearken. They don't really hark on this in this episode, but this is kind of the first real indicator that we're seeing of her being dissatisfied with her relationship with Riley, which is not the way that it's painted in this episode, but this is a, a, this is a foreshadowing moment that like her laying next to him is not doing it for her. She has to go out and kill something. <laughs> and that could be just the general nature of the Slayer. Like the Slayer's really, the Slayer really doesn't need to be with a normal dude. And I will also say, you know, I've been a defender of Riley in general because I don't think he's as bad as people paint him to be. However, in this episode, he was more vanilla, more granola, more boring than I have seen him in a while. Like he just like didn't stand out at all. That scene between him and Spike, Spike wasn't even standing out to me that much. It was kind of a boring scene between the two of them but like they were sort of facing off against each other. And, and I feel like there was supposed to be like some fun, uh, sexual tension between them a little bit, you know, but I wasn't feeling it at all because like that little shot where they're, where they were in profile, where you could see like Riley versus Spike. It was just, I don't know. Riley looked like a little boy to me and Spike was just not at his full mojo power. I don't know. That scene didn't work for me, which I'm getting ahead of myself. But anyway, so that first part of the episode, she like goes out hunting and she needs that to get to sleep. So this is, this is even before like Dracula has shown up on the scene. Like she's been feeling off ever since the dreams of Restless, the last episode. So like a summer has gone by in the timeline of Buffy, they always do that. So a whole summer has gone by ever since the, you know, the first Slayer, Sanaya visited everyone in her, in their dreams and tried to kill them. So she's been feeling differently lately, like facing her, 
her origin in that dream has made her feel differently. Um, and just one thing I wanted to note, like Giles's apartment is very, like it's very, they were able to get bigger shots of it, like further away, like wider shots of his apartment. So I'm assuming that they like rebuilt it or something because it is going to, I mean, it already was like a big, um, a normal set piece in the last season, but I feel like they did something to it because they're showing it from better angles in this episode. So I'll be curious to see if we, if we get to be a little bit more intimate with Giles's apartment, which is one of my favorite set pieces on Buffy. I love most of the set pieces on Buffy, like the ambiance, all of that stuff. The set design is, I love it on Buffy. Um, okay. This is, you know, it's a funny episode. Like you don't have to think deeply about it. You can just let it be like a campy, funny episode. Xander has all those silly lines because he ends up, you know, being a minion of Dracula or whatever and eating bugs and saying things like, no one can defeat the dark master, Bader, you know, which is probably the quote of the episode because it just has to be. Um, what else? Willow and Tara both both have like their outfit game is on point in this episode. Willow's in her full like witchy nerd outfit power. Like this is kind of the best time for Willow's outfits throughout the entire series and Tara looks great too. Um actually everybody for the most part, looked pretty great in this episode, like, as far as outfits are concerned. Like, Buffy was wearing, she was wearing, like, shiny red vinyl pants um, in the first part of the episode, and later she was wearing pink vinyl pants. Um, yeah, witchy outfits from Willow and Tara. At one point, like, it was kind of cute. Xander was wearing, like, a Hawaiian shirt that had, like, those like clear sequins that like it just you could only see them really when like the light just hit it just right so it was like a slightly sparkly Hawaiian shirt that he was wearing and then at one point Anya was in a scene with him where she had like this dark green shirt that had some of those type of sequins in it too so like they both were wearing sparkly shirts this is just kind of cute um, overall though, I, I think that this episode, I think I could have forgiven Dracula coming into the Buffy verse and all of that cheesiness if I was at all enthralled by the guy that plays Dracula, which I am not. It just, he just... Uh, the makeup is so bad on him. It's just so bad. I get what they were trying to do, but it just looks so powdery. He didn't at all look like he was a pale person, you know? And I get that he was, he was like, I think he was in like a Vlad the Impaler. He played that, bleh. He played the historical figure Vlad the Impaler, who Dracula is likely based on. Um in like a TV movie version of, I don't know. It, it came out like around that same time. So I guess he was just cheap to get on Buffy, but I just think it was bad casting. I just, I didn't, like all the moments of him like putting Buffy under his thrall and all of that shit, I just found them to be very unbelievable. Um, I wasn't feeling any chemistry between the two of them or anything, I, or maybe it was just because I was so distracted by how, I, by his makeup and just like, he did not, he just, you know that? Probably don't. But there's this Tori Amos lyric that in my head canon is referring to Trent Reznor, but in any case, I think it applies to Dracula in this moment. <laughs> okay. You sign Prince of Darkness, try Squire of Dimness. 
that's the lyric. And I think that this Dracula thinks he's Prince of Darkness, but really he's Squire of Dimness. You know what I'm saying? It's just, I can't with this Dracula. And no offense to the actor, but like, I think, I mean, I haven't seen him in anything else, but he's probably a good actor in other iterations and other characters, but I just, no, I can't with this Dracula, you guys. And I really didn't like that the majority of this first episode, maybe not the majority, maybe like half of this first episode of season five of Buffy, Buffy's being very uncharacteristic. Like the fact that she's under his thrall is very uncharacteristic of Buffy. And I didn't like seeing her in that position. And I felt comfortable again as soon as like she drank some of his blood towards the end and realized that she wasn't under his thrall anymore. It was like, okay, now I feel better. Like I, I do not like seeing Buffy vulnerable, like in helpless. I just, and this might actually be a little bit on Sarah Michelle Gellar. I think she plays it in such a binary way. Like I think she's a really great actress, but in this particular sense, like when she flips to vulnerable, enthralled in love, I don't like the way she plays it, I guess, because I don't see her as an emotion as, I mean, she's emotional. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to articulate it, but I just, I do not like it when she's playing effusive in love under thrall. I do not like her playing that. It just, something about it is triggering for me. And I just didn't, I didn't feel comfortable until she was no longer under his thrall, you know? And, and probably that's the way we're supposed to see that. But anyway, I did not take many notes for this episode. Um, at one point I, I wrote that Riley said to Buffy, you're under the thrall of the dark prince. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know if I said this. But the, the exchange between Buffy and Dracula whenever they first meet, when Buffy says to Dracula, do you know what a slayer is? And he says to her, do you? So the thing that's interesting about their exchanges throughout the episode is that he keeps hinting to her that her, that the slayer's power is rooted in darkness. And that... And he keeps saying to her, you want to know more about that. I can show you more about your darkness. I can show you about the true origins of the Slayer. And it does give you this kind of interesting idea of like, what if a Slayer, this is something that they never explored in the Buffy verse, to my knowledge of like, what if a Slayer was turned into a vampire? What would that mean? Would, would she still have the essence of a Slayer? Would she become a vampire? slayer you know what I'm saying like I don't know they never really explored that idea but this kind of gives you a little inkling of like the question of that because the way that he was talking to her about like he wanted to turn her into a vampire and that was his intention was to turn her into a vampire and and there was a little bit of an emphasis on consent as well like he was like you're gonna want it you do want it kind of like stupid shit but he was sort of saying that you're going to get to a point where you're begging for it and only then will I turn you into a vampire. So I was like, I don't know, it's it's tricky. It's kind of dubious consent. But anyway, whatever. It does bring up the question of like, what if Buffy was turned into a vampire? What would that mean? Would she retain her Slayer essence? I just think it's an interesting idea. What do you guys think? Um... So that part is interesting. Just sort of that, like, I think Buffy as a show is at its best when it is, when it's diving into character development and identity. I think Buffy as a show is about identity, how you move through the world, how you become a slayer to your own life and how you grow up because it's essentially a show about adolescence because, you know, we follow Buffy, the vampire slayer from age like 15 to 22 or something around there. So this is her adolescence. We see her, her first beginnings of growing up, you know, in the very last episode of the entire series, she says something to the effect of, 
A reminder, if for some reason this is the first time that you're tuning in to Buffy, to my podcast, this is not a Slayer. Slayer? This is not a spoiler-free podcast. Okay. That said. So, like, in the very last episode of the series, Buffy says, you know, she essentially says, I'm cookie dough. I'm not done yet. I don't know what I'm going to become. So she accepts, you know, finally at sort of like a a later stage of adolescence. I, I still think 22 is adolescence, you know, but at a later stage in her adolescence, she's to the point where she's like, she's been looking for herself throughout the whole series. And she wants to decide what she is. She wants to define what she is. Is she a girl? Is she the slayer? What is a slayer? You know, like all these questions I think are important for this series. But I like that like when the show ends, she gets to a point where she's like accepting the fact that she doesn't have all the answers to who she is and she's going to be ever changing. And that's like, you know, that's a moment that we all face, right? We all we all get to that point where like we no longer need to to define ourselves necessarily by all of these labels, we have to accept that these things change, you know? Anyway, um, so that's just interesting. Just like questions of identity on Buffy are where I'm interested, you know? So I do like whatever, whatever the show's trying to say this um there's this moment towards the end you know where she breaks the thrall and the thrall is broken after she drinks some of dracula's blood and it's sort of like that awakening moment that she had in prophecy girl at the end of season one where like you know she was under the thrall of the master for a second for some reason and then just suddenly she just snaps out of it and this is like that and i enjoyed that like little little nod to prophecy girl which is a much better episode than this step than this episode but i mean this episode's not that bad anyway so <laughs> um i also just had to point out you know when giles gets like sucked into the um chick pit with the with the dracula sisters or whatever i really like when like you know riley's getting him out of there and he like oh i i lost my shoe and he starts to go back in and riley's like no sir no more chick pit for you it's just a good moment maybe that's the quote of the episode no more no sir no more chick pit for you <laughs> That was just like the only moment where Riley was endearing in this whole episode. Because most of the episode, you know, there was like all this, this kind of stupid stuff where like Xander was being jealous of Anya being attracted to Dracula. Tara was being jealous of Willow being attracted to Dracula. Riley was being jealous of Buffy for being attracted to Dracula. And there was all this like, he's a celebrity. He's so cool. I feel like the characters had to spend a ton of time in this episode talking about how cool and seductive Dracula is when we saw him on screen and we didn't believe it. Like he's not cool and seductive. Maybe that's, oh my God. Maybe that's part of the reason why like James Marsters was a little subdued in this episode. Like maybe he was trying, he was actually told to or trying to not outshine the allure of Dracula. Cause we're so, I think we're supposed to find him sexy, but he's just not, I don't know. Maybe he is to someone and I'm just being an asshole, but I feel like the episode spends a lot of time, like talking about how cool Dracula is instead of showing us how cool Dracula is, you know? And that's, that's really the problem I have with this episode. It's not a bad episode. It's just the casting of Dracula, the makeup of Dracula. Yeah. The chemistry that is non-existent between him and everyone. I mean, I had more chemistry on screen personally with the wolf that Dracula was walking on a rooftop for like two seconds. You didn't even get a good look at that wolf, but that wolf was beautiful. <laughs> And the bat. I had more chemistry with the Dracula mist coming through the window than I did with the actor. Oh god, I hope he never hears this. I'm sure you're good in other things. 
I'm sure you are. Um, this just was not the role for you. Um, I saw like a current picture of this guy. I don't even know his name. I should look him up. Rudolph Martin. So a current picture of him on IMDb and he is, you know, I mean, he's aged. It's been 20 years. Like he looks so far from a person that could ever play Dracula. But I mean, he was an attractive dude back then. And like, I guess, okay. So it's not his face. It is the application of makeup. And it is the fact that he just didn't seem to, to me, have chemistry with Sarah Michelle Gellar, which I think was kind of essential. Anyway, I need to stop parking on this. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're listening to Rudolph Martin. It is probably not your fault that I'm having such a visual, visceral reaction. I am a little bit picky when it comes to um, portrayals of vampires because vampire mythology is important to me. And it's kind of interesting because like the way that I view the way that I prefer my vampire mythology is in more of the like beautiful glittery vampire territory. Like I'm not saying I like Twilight, but <laughs> I, I enjoy a seductive, beautiful sort of Anne Rice style vampire as far as vampire mythologies are concerned. Like the vampire mythology in Buffy is not what I like about Buffy but I totally accept where it is in that storyline. Like vampires are not supposed to be cute in Buffy. Um, okay. Anyway, <laughs> despite the fact that, you know, the two main boy vampires on Buffy are pretty universally considered to be hot, you know, David Boreanaz and James Marsters. Okay. Fuck. Let's see. I feel like I've gotten like way off track here. Um, buh, buh, buh. Okay, so the episode, of course, ends with the introduction of Dawn. Not going to say much about her here since she was literally just in the last, like, three seconds of the episode. But I'm going to let you know now, I am not a Dawn hater. However, they, they're, their execution of Dawn's character in these first handful of episodes it's really bad because I think what what ha happened I'm pretty sure was they probably originally intended to cast someone much younger I'm assuming because um I think Michelle Trachtenberg was playing someone that was about 14 but the way that she's characterized, especially in these first handful of episodes when they didn't really know what they were doing with her as a character or they just hadn't readjusted for the fact that who they cast was... I mean, it feels like the script is trying to say that she's like 11, 10, 9. Like, she's, she's really reading as very juvenile, juvenile these first few episodes and maybe even this first two-thirds of the season. I don't know how long they characterize her this way, but it's just very annoying in the beginning. But I want you guys to know that I'm not going to be one of those people that fucking hates Dawn. And I totally respect you if you are one of those people that fucking hates Dawn. But I think it's important that, I mean, we do not get, like I said before, Buffy is really not a feminist show. It likes to think that it is, and it has feminist aspects to it, and it has done a lot for women growing up watching it, me included. But it is really overall, the feminist aspects of Buffy have not aged well in 20 years, you know? Um, and we do not get, like, save for willow and buffy generally having a good relationship we do not get female friendships and relationships on buffy at all except for buffy and willow until now and we this is really the only other one that we get i mean buffy or willow and tara and then later we get a little bit of tara and buffy interacting but it wasn't really until Marty Noxon became showrunner, which happened sometime in season four, I think. She definitely is showrunner by now. It wasn't until we got Marty Noxon as showrunner that we get a little bit of, like, female friendships. And, I mean, this is a sister 
I mean, I don't know if, I guess you don't call that a friendship. A sisterhood? Uh, sister? Oh, I don't know. There's a word that I'm looking for. Sibling relationship, I guess. But whatever. Like, we, this is just, we have to hold on to that because we get so few examples of relationships between women on Buffy that, like, Buffy and Dawn, their relationship is important and I'm going to be focusing on it because we have so little to focus on when it comes to female relationships on Buffy. Okay. Um, oh, one quote. I watched the, um, the Passionate Nerd, his episode guide that he has on YouTube. It's really amazing. Um, highly recommend it. He wanted a quote from him that he said in his episode guide for this particular episode. He said, in regards to like slayerness, Buffy, she she may have mastered the use of it, but she but does she know its essence? Which is an interesting question for this season. I really like, you know, like in the beginning of the episode, I didn't even mention this, but Giles told Willow that he was planning on leaving. He's been doing, he's been having her help him with a bunch of like archiving projects and stuff over the summer because he, he's felt really useless in the last season, the last year. And he is, you know, he's been fired as Buffy's watcher. He hasn't really been needed that much. He thinks that she's ready to move on without him. So he's going to go back to England. And he's planning to go back, but he hasn't told her yet. And he tells Willow at the beginning of the episode. And at the end of the episode, we get a conversation between Buffy and Giles where he's about to tell her, like he's called her there essentially to tell her that he's leaving. And she wants to talk to him because, you know, all these dealing with Dracula has brought up all these questions for her about like, you know, what actually is the essence of the Slayer? I don't know. I want to know more. I haven't been training. I haven't really been, you know, being a student of Slayerness and I need you as my watcher again. And that was, that was the most touching moment of the episode for me because I, you know, Giles is one of my favorite characters. So it's hard for me to see him feeling not needed. And that's a thing that I personally struggle with. Like, if I feel like I'm not needed, you know, like at a job particularly, like I used to have this position at the library where I work now, where I felt completely useless. I was working in the reference department and I was often like, and because because my boss is a very nice person and she likes to give people a lot of hours. She likes to hire as many people as she's allowed to hire. That is just her personal thing, but it made me often feel like I was not needed because I was like one of three people on staff that day and there was just no reason for there to be that many of us at the same time. There just wasn't a need for it. And so it made me feel really useless. And she also is a person that doesn't delegate very well. So there weren't a lot of responsibilities that she trusted anyone but herself with. And I just, it was the most unhappy I've probably ever been at a job because I, f I simultaneously felt like I wasn't smart enough to be a reference librarian, librarian A, but that was that insecurity was really reinforced for me because I often was an extra person that was not actually needed in the department. And because my boss didn't delegate a lot of things to anyone. So I was constantly seeing her really stressed because she was doing so many things, but she refused to let anyone else help with those things. So we would just be kind of sitting around pretending to be busy. And it was just, it was, I mean, that's such a silly thing to complain about because she's a very nice person. She's very respectful of us. She always gave us the time off that we wanted. She always gave us extra hours to make sure that we, you know, but it was a dark time for me at work because I felt like I was just, you know, like a warm body in a seat, you know, like I was not really useful and I cannot take that feeling especially when I'm at work. 
Like if I'm at work, I want to be needed. Like I've called in before because I know I'm just an extra person on the schedule and I'm not really needed and I could spend my time better elsewhere. Like I'm always like, like it's important to me to like make the best use of my time. And by that, I just mean enjoying it, not not necessarily being productive. But if I'm at work, I need to be productive. And so like I totally sympathize with like where with how useless Giles has felt in the last year. And to see him knowing that he's needed again in this moment when Buffy is asking him to be her watcher again is just, it makes me cry. It makes me, I, I love, I love sentimental, beautiful father daughter moments between Buffy and Giles. Again, it's sort of a placeholder for me because I didn't really have a good relationship with my dad. So like I project a lot onto Buffy and Giles's relationship in that aspect, but it's nice. You don't get a lot of father daughter relationships in pop culture, or at least you didn't at this time. And Buffy and Giles's relationship is very important to me. So seeing this sweet little moment when they haven't really connected a lot in the last year or so is wonderful. I feel like this first episode of season five is letting you know that it's going back to a few roots of Buffy. The relationship between Buffy and Giles is being reestablished as important. The relationship of Buffy to her identity as a slayer is being reestablished as something that's important, which is something that we haven't really seen her question at least since season three, whenever she was facing off against the dark aspect of herself in Faith's character. Like we saw her grappling a little bit with what a slayer means it morality wise in that season, but like season four didn't really have any of that shit. She was trying to figure out who she is as a person at college and with a new boyfriend that isn't a vampire. Like, I don't know. It was just, so I think this is a good start to a season. Let's get into ratings for the episode itself. Featured object of the episode. Hmm, let's see. There were a few things that I was like, ah, Giles's dragonfly lamp. But I've probably said that before because he has had that lamp, although it looks like it's on a different base this season. Like, I feel like it had a more like Tiffany style base before and now it's, it's different. Um, I don't know. I think they put the shade on a new lamp. Yes, those are the types of things I noticed, you guys. Constantly looking at the stuff in the background in a scene. Um, uh, I think object of the episode is going to be, like, there's this one scene where Buffy and Joyce are having dinner together. And, um, like, there's, a the drinking glass glasses on the table. They were using Fiesta Wear plates, by the way, which I always notice because that's the type of like plates that we have in our house, plates and bowls. Fiesta Wear, they're awesome because you can buy them like by like piece by piece. You can buy them and just get like all the colors. It's so awesome and they last forever. I've never broken a single piece of Fiesta Wear, you guys. It's this is my ad for Fiesta Wear right here. But anyway, so they're using Fiesta Wear plates, but the drinking glasses were this very 90s, like sunflower pattern. But like you can tell that Joyce has had these drinking glasses since, I don't know, 1989, maybe. <laughs> and it was just cute. It was just cute. I liked it. I so that's my object of the episode. Um, quote of the episode is going to be Riley saying to Giles, no, sir, no more chick pit for you. Um, MVP of the episode, I'm going to go with Buffy because, hey, it's a season opener. Season openers and closers, MVP is usually going to go to Buffy, um, but definitely in this case. Also, outfit, you know, even though, like, what, I don't remember exactly what Tara was wearing, but in that scene where her and Willow were doing like a protection spell for Joyce at the house, um, which in this episode was smart in the way that it did. It had several shots of like establishing normal at home life with Buffy and Joyce because Buffy's been home um, 
because ostensibly she's going back to school in the next episode or whatever. Um, and they did good with having like little shots, even though Joyce really isn't in the plot of this episode, but they did a good job establishing that like it's it's just Buffy and Joyce eating dinner together. It's just Joyce in the house whenever um, Tara and Willow are doing the protection spell so that you see the contrast that like Dawn has just shown up in this timeline. She is, her entry into this timeline happens right now and then it's rewritten from now on so that's interesting that like you know it was subtle they did a good job with that um but anyway in that scene where willow and tara are doing the protection spell i think the actual my actual favorite outfit that i would want to wear right now would be what tara was wearing in that scene but i don't remember exactly what it was it was just hippie witchy dark goodness but I'm giving the actual outfit of the episode to Buffy's first outfit, which was, I think it was just like a generic black sleeveless top with um, red vinyl pants. Because that to me is one of Buffy's like top five iconic outfits. When I think of Buffy outfits, I think of, I think of the outfit from Prophecy Girl, the, the white dress with the black leather jacket, and the crossbow. I think of um, Buffy in like the a Buffy blue shirt, just in general. I think about Buffy's brown stretchy pants that she wore all the time in season like two. Um, and then I think of this, the black sleeveless shirt with the shiny red vinyl pants or red leather pants. It might not be actually vinyl, but yeah. This is just an iconic Buffy outfit. So this has to be the outfit of the episode, even though there were some contenders. This this episode had some pretty decent outfits. Hopefully that's a good sign that, because last season it was like, it was a struggle every episode for me to be like, okay, well this outfit didn't suck as much as the other ones. But, you know, we got Glory this season and she has got some serious fashion sense. So maybe they got a better costume designer for this season i don't know um not gonna look that up because this episode's gonna be too fucking long if i look everything up okay five by five ratings as far as like treatment of women and other minority characters we don't see like a single person of color in this episode at all unless it's someone in the background at some point but i feel like there weren't even extras in this episode i don't think like maybe one of the vampires that buffy slays is a person of color but i don't remember so there's no representation at all whatsoever of any minority character save for like willow and tara being lesbians and there was that weird comment, that weird joke whenever they were doing the protection spell between at Joyce's house. And um, Joyce is saying something about dating and how dating is hard. And sometimes you just want to give up on men altogether. And like Tara and Willow kind of give a little smirk to each other. I don't know. That felt a little tone deaf in the year 2020. You know, really did. Because now willow and tara would be out to joyce you know and they aren't and there was also a stupid joke i'd forgotten about this till this exact moment with xander where like willow and xander are talking at one point and willow says something about i don't even know how it got started but xander made some kind of dumbass comment about you know like we know about you and tara although if you want to tell me intimate details about what you and tara do together or something like that and i'm like really really <laughs> i have i ha find it hard to believe that marty Knoxon wrote that line but hey this was the year 2000 it was a different time anyway um whatever so as far as like you know just like wokeness level which is what i like to do with this first general rating of out of five it's it's a two it's a two does this episode even pass the bechdel test huh we don't really see conversations between 
Tara and Willow, except when they're talking about Dracula. When Tara, Willow, and Joyce are talking, they're talking about Dracula. Um, I don't even think we get to see a conversation between Willow and Buffy unless I'm just forgetting one of them. So I don't even think this episode passes the Bechdel test. So me giving it a two out of five is kind of generous. As far as overall enjoyability of the episode, despite the distracting cheesiness of just Dracula's presence in the Buffyverse in general, it's overall a good episode. It's not one I skip. It's... It's kind of middle of the road for me, so I'll give it a three. So that means the 5x5 five five ratings for Buffy versus Dracula, six. Okay, let's talk about the Angel episode. So the first episode of season two of Angel is called Judgment. I have only seen the, the series of Angel twice all the way through, I'm pretty sure. And the way that I remember it, and I could be completely wrong, but the way that I remember it is that season two is kind of the best Season two and five are the best seasons of Angel in my memory. Season two is when we, maybe three is okay. I feel like two and three were strong and five was possibly the best. I, I hate that we still have to wait till like, I think we have to wait till the end of the season before we even get Fred, which is like probably my favorite character of Angel. Anyway, but Season two, episode one, Judgment, is when we get the introduction to Lorne, which is like my second favorite character of Angel, who is like a cute, green-faced, red-horned demon that runs a karaoke bar, and he's a psychic, but he can only read you when you're singing. And I love that concept. And I this episode is actually kind of a good one. Um, it establishes Lorne as a character. You get to see the cheesy moment of Angel singing Barry Manilow in karaoke. Um, it kind of establishes some of the character growth that we've seen so far with not only Angel, but also Wesley and Cordelia. And Gunn is in the credits now. J. August forgot his last name. Richards? Okay, fine. I'll fucking look it up. Okay, I don't want to throw too much shade at Nikki Stafford, but her Angel episode guide in like the cast list, even the get both the guest cast and the main recurring character cast list for this particular episode of Angel does not mention Gunn's character at all. Is that a little bit of like unintentional racism right there? Okay, yes. His name is J. August Richards. I was right. Okay. I don't know. I, I just find that odd that she didn't name him when he was... He was in this plot. And he's in the credits starting this season. Um, so anyway. Again, I did not watch this episode, but I watched the TPN um, video episode guide. So... Like, I probably will be watching this episode tomorrow, but I don't really have much to say about it now, except that, yay, we get the introduction of Lorne, we get a little moment of Angel visiting Faith in prison, so I can't wait to see that when I rewatch the episode tomorrow, but I don't, I think this episode is probably good, um... It establishes, so the end of season one of Angel was like when this prophecy, this Shanshu prophecy, which is a big deal in the Angel series, which is this, this prophecy that like once Angel gets to some cosmic scorecard of atonement level, he will get to be human again. And he's really distracted by that in this episode. He's just sort of like... You know, being a little bit immature about it, like, when am I going to get there? I don't know. When when, when does the score go in my favor? And so the plot point in this particular episode is that he accidentally kills a demon because he's, like, distracted by the scorecard in his mind for the Shanshu prophecy. He accidentally kills a demon that's not a bad demon. 
And then he has to immediately atone for it because that particular demon was protecting a woman who is pregnant and she also has a prophecy going on with her pregnancy for some reason. So this demon was her quote-unquote champion. And so Angel has to take this demon's place when he accidentally kills it, the demon. And so that's the, the plot of this particular episode. Um, it also establishes some character shit, like Gun gets involved and helps Angel. Gun also, there's sort of like a, I'm interested to see how this plays out. I think it was, I don't know if it was more racial commentary or racial insensitivity. Like historically, the Buffyverse has not been good with characters of color. They've been very dismissive of them if they're included at all. It's it's bad. It's really bad. The racism in the Buffyverse is bad. Or just, let's say, the racism of Joss Whedon is bad. You know, it, most of the time it's just complete erasure. But when people of color are there, it's really bad. It's just insensitive. So... I will be paying attention to that. That's probably the thing I'm most interested in as far as rewatching Angel, which I don't have much to say about it right now since I didn't actually fucking watch the episode. <laughs> but there is a scene where I think, I think this is the first time Gunn is meeting Cordelia and Wesley. And I think they are scared of him at first because he is a black man. And I don't know how well it's handled. I don't know if they do it in a cool, like I said, commentary way or if they're just bad. I suspect bad is probably the answer to that question, but I don't know yet. So I don't have as much to say about that as I would like to have at this moment. But from now on, I'm going to have watched the fucking episode before I talk to you guys. It's just not happened this week. I'm interested to see that interaction between Angel and Faith. I think I already fucking said that. But anyway, the whole point of this episode is that Angel's super distracted about his, like, cosmic scorecard. And by the end of the episode, he's like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't be keeping score. You know, it's not about keeping score. It's a journey. This is a journey that's going to be a long and difficult journey, Angel. Duh. He knew that. He always knew that. Um, blah, blah, blah. What else was I going to say about it? Uh, oh, Darla's back. She got resurrected at the very end of season one. Um, so there's going to be a lot of Darla in this season, which is another point that, like, my mom's saying that life is too short to watch Angel. And she does not like the Darla character at all. So, yeah, there's a lot of fucking Darla bullshit coming up that I am really hard rolling my eyes at already. Angels is not my favorite show, but I do enjoy the context of watching it at the same time for this, like, anniversary project. Watching it right after watching Buffy, because that's the way that it originally aired. I do like that aspect of it. Like, from an as If I'm not analyzing it too hard, I can find Angel a generally enjoyable show with the exception of season four, a lot of the conversations surrounding Angel for me are going to be complaining at, you know, just the fact that we have so little in a show that is centered around a white male character. There's just a lot of sexist bullshit. It's even more to the forefront on this show than it is on Buffy, since Buffy is headed by a woman. So at least you have the illusion of less sexism since the main focus is on a woman on Buffy, but it just makes it makes the sexism a lot harder to ignore watching Angel. But anyway, there are some good points to Angel. Like, it's not a completely terrible show, but I'm going to be very upset when we get to the way that... I mean, I'm... I'm looking very far ahead by saying this, but like, I'm going to be very upset by the treatment of Cordelia's character towards the end. And that's going to be a rant. That's going to be, we're not there yet. 
that's like two years away before we even talk about that. Um, but anyway, Angel. So I don't really have any ratings for Angel as far as like, I, I can't really tell you how enjoyable this episode was since I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I've seen it, but I just haven't seen it in many, many years. So anyway, let's stop talking about Angel then because I really have nothing to say except that like I'm excited to see Lorne. I'm excited for what I, from what I remember, season two is better than season one. We'll see if that's a true representation of my memory, which I do not have a good memory. So it really says nothing. So that is my discussion of Buffy versus Dracula. Um, next week, October 3rd, which is my birthday, you guys. On my birthday, we get to talk about the episode Real Me, which I think is all about Dawn from Dawn's perspective. And she's writing in her journal a lot and like being characterized as like an 11 year old when she's really 14, which is disturbing. So not my favorite episode to be talking about on my birthday, but still. I'll be doing it with you guys and it will be fun and I will see you then. Thanks for listening.